Turn around. <laughs> Look at what you see. <laughs> no, remember when we were watching Stranger Things and this reference came up? No, there's a lot of never-ending story in Stranger Things. And like, like he didn't get like the first three words out of his mouth, and I was like, oh, they're doing never-ending story. Doing, they, they had to shoehorn it in there. They did. <laughs> uh, the Duffer Brothers. They were like, we gotta put this in there, but like, it's gonna be so out of pocket. You can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to put it in the, one of the most pivotal parts of the series <laughs> where we are actually trying to save humanity, but in order to get the codes to do so, Dusty Bun has to sing Never Ending Story to his Mormon Utah girlfriend over the radio. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where podcasting is our scientific speciality. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week, guys, ooh, it's a big one. This week, we are talking about the 1984 adventure fantasy classic, The Neverending Story. Daundelikigishite. <laughs> that was a really good try. I think that's the worst way anyone's tried to read German aloud. Ever. German is not the most forgiving of languages. Okay? No, no. <laughs> Let me see it. The Undelicht Gesticht. That's my guess. The Undelicht Gesticht. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that it's, one. It sounds positively Slavic, you know? <laughs> uh, before we get started on this amazing journey, yes. please go over to Twitter <laughs> and follow us at Kick and Stream. K I C K N S T R E A M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party, and we mean retweet. <laughs> New Flat Earthers over here calling it Twitter. <laughs> We're just going to be those people. <laughs> I'm not. I'm refusing. I know. I'm already forced to participate in capitalism i'm just gonna start making my own decisions <laughs> okay man let's 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 take a stretch we got a long yeah, way to go we got we do we oh. do happy birthday month to carrie ann oh, it's our final birthday month selection for carrie ann's birthday month i'm so sad but it's that it's almost over but at the same time i am so happy we're talking about this movie and you know what you're looking positively 377 months right now. Thank you. You're so welcome. You know how much I love this joke. You are 31, flirty one, and thriving one. <laughs> Thanks, I guess. You are so welcome. <laughs> thriving one. <laughs> what is the secret of this enchanted book? What wonders are hidden within its pages? What magical spell does it cast on all who read it? What is the secret of the never-ending story? But that's impossible! You will enter a world where a young boy's imagination becomes a vivid reality. The world of Atreyu and Artax, the Rockbiter, and a good and kind gnome. A world that is vast and eternal. 
treacherous and dazzling. Unforgettable and free. For anyone who's ever made a wish, believed in a fantasy, or had a dream, this is the never-ending story. This is a big one, guys. This is core. This is core, not just for us, but for millions around the globe. This was a blockbuster top ten. I know. Oh, uh, just the cover. Seeing the cover on the shelf. Oh, I know. In the in the blockbuster, I was already transported. Dad, if you do not come home with never-ending story, <laughs> I'm about to give you a never-ending parade of mess. <laughs> A never-ending tantrum. Like, <laughs> where's never-ending story? Why didn't you get never-ending story? Again? Uh, yes, again. Oh, and when I got the DVD, when I got the DVD, uh-huh. which was a double feature. Oh, it really? It was never-ending story and never-ending story 2, the next chapter. Starring the kid from It. Yeah. Aww. I always get super sad when I see that kid. I know. Because of the horrible way that actor's life ended, but... The sequel is not good. You know there's a third one? There is. If, if And if the second one tells you anything, the third one, holy shit. Jack Black is randomly in it. What? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> no. I'm refusing to acknowledge that you've given me that information. This week we are discussing the film based off of the novel by Michael Ende. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a German novel, first published in 1979. And this is also a German movie, technically. It was distributed by a German company. Yeah, but, like, that's why mm, I feel like its influence throughout the film is super obvious. Uh-huh, like, yeah. you know, like, the novel The NeverEnding Story is way more expansive than what we get in this film adaptation. But this film adaptation is just so core for people due to, of course, its 80s-esque practical effect. You know, like, it's just... mm. I don't know. I I almost feel like we were born in a perfect time Mm -hmm. to where all this stuff was made right before we were born, like in this decade preceding where we were born. Yeah. And then us getting to be children after it's already been established, already has fandom, and then getting to experience it. The movie is just the first half of the book. No, yeah, there's so much more that happens in the book, which they break up amongst the two bad sequels that got made. (laughs) Um... It's just a lot. Um, Wolfgang Peterson is our director this week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's been nominated for an Oscar twice. Yeah. For a 1981 project called Das Boot. Oh, yeah, Das Boot. I, I, oh, yeah. Like, well, what do you mean? You know what that is? I don't know what it's about, but I know of it. Like, it, it's a war film. Yeah, it's yeah. famous. It's it's referenced constantly. Oh, my God. He did Air Force One. Yeah, he did. With Harrison Ford. Uh-huh. He did Perfect Storm. Yep. Okay, well. Wolfgang. Well, you obviously made this, so exactly. you can hang. Wolfgang can hang at, <laughs> at KNS. <laughs> the movie did make $75 million. U.S. or Deutschmark? U.S. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's the only thing that matters, right? Oh, stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My God. But Warner Brothers, you did a good thing. You did a good thing distributing this. Like, I just... I think Spielberg helped them chop it up a little more for an American audience. <laughs> So basically what the novel tells the story of is one Bastion Balthasar Bucks. And <laughs> what a name. He comes into possession of a very strange storybook. And when he begins to read it, he begins to notice that he himself is involved 
very directly in the effects and outcomes within the story itself. Not the same way that Richie Tyler was in The Page Master. Like, Richie Tyler was physically present for the action. But this little boy is just reading a story mm-hmm. and figuring out slowly that he's part of it. And, like, which is just so... I feel like seeing this as a little kid, you abso- and since he is a little kid, you definitely put yourself in Bastion's shoes yeah. and you get to experience it the way the character is supposed to experience it. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's perfect. Did you read the synopsis of the book? No, I, I didn't. Well, I did. Okay. And this is Rostick Michael reporting. Um, <laughs> so it's so much more whack than you would ever believe. Oh, like, I'm sure. Like, you know, obviously, I do like some elements of that sequel. It's so bad, but <laughs> some of the plot elements of that sequel, I'm like, this is this shit's cool, you know? Like, yeah. like the evil sorceress, mm-hmm. like Zayeda, and like her oh, yeah. many-faced minion, and the Silver City, you know? Yeah. And like she uh, in Zayeda, she lives in the castle that looks like a like a clutched hand, you know, like a claw. Oh. I don't know. Anyway, it, it's cool. But... <laughs> In this, in the book, you know, obviously we're going to talk about it, like, because it's mostly adapted in the movie. But, you know, near the end there, like, it just kind of goes off the rails because Bastion disappears from the real world. Oh. Supposedly. He loses all of his memories. Oh. Until there's almost none of him left. Oh. Uh, Yeah, he becomes a great power in this universe. Like a god? And then has to give up the power so that the story can go on. Wow. Because when he first starts denying that he's a part of the story, uh-huh. the Bastion character's like, no, this, fuck, no, this isn't, this isn't real. And like, he can kind of tell that if he continues down a certain path that this will happen X, Y, Z. And so he just starts doing the opposite of all of that. And the story literally keeps repeating itself. Oh, dear! Until he picks the right course of action. That sounds like hell. So the story actually draws him in so much that he disappears from the real world, and then he has to give up all his power to get back home. Like those children from Narnia. Yeah, it's quite literally the Bastion character taking his head out of the clouds. Ooh, yikes. Yeah. I don't like it. It's almost like it's telling you not to get lost in the story, but like that is so kind of like the opposite of the wonderment that this movie espouses. (laughs) I'm getting conflicting signals. It's like Wolfgang Peterson took this book and went, I didn't really like that. I'm going to tell them to do the opposite, you know? No, um, the author of the actual book did not like this movie because of how they ended it in the middle of the story. Yeah, no. And uh, he tried to take them to court over it. Which, you know what? I'm sorry, Michael. I'm sorry that that happened. I'm sorry that it was not adapted in the way you would have liked. I'd be pissed. Like, But at the same time, like he had a lot of pre-approval on the script and like what was going to happen. Uh, Okay, then what are you mad about, Mike? I, I know. He wanted his name taken off of it at the end. Oh, no. Yeah, that's how bad it was. He tried to serve them with an injunction so they could not make it. Oh, my goodness. I know. I feel like this is the selection this month that most directly ties to your theme. Oh, no, absolutely. No, yeah. This was the movie I was thinking about when I was thinking about this theme. Absolutely. And, like, luckily, I found some others that also folded into it, but I just... 
Man, this movie's so core! And throughout the coverage, we are going to meet all of Bastion's wonderful friends in the wonderful land of Fantasia. All right, folks, you might have guessed it, but we've got names. They are, in fact, names. They are names. <laughs> Portraying BBB. Oh, Bastion. Bastion Balthazar Bucks. That name. We have Barrett Oliver. Mm-hmm. He's such a cute kid. He's perfect for this role. It's giving Will Byers. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Barrett Oliver, he is a professional photographer. Mm-hmm. And he is a woodwork artist. Yeah. Have you ever seen a picture of him? Uh, yeah, no. He's, he's got a killer beard. He does. He's got <laughs> super great facial hair. <laughs> And he's best known, of course, for this, for the never-ending story, but he's also in the Cocoon movies. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Fucking Cocoon. <laughs> Every time I think about that movie, my brain does this, like, flight. It's like, no, that didn't happen. They didn't make Cocoon. That's a scary story my parents made up. They faked the footage. Like, no, Cocoon's not real. Movie's so whack. And we've got to do it someday. We do. Portraying Atreyu, child warrior, (laughs) child warrior, who hunts the purple buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. We have Noah Hathaway. He is known for this. Yeah. And Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) Wait, the old one or the new one? I don't care. Okay, fine. (laughs) 1978. Okay, so the old one. Yeah, no, he was in Battlestar Galactica, but he is most famous, of course, as Atreyu. He now enjoys a career as a martial artist instructor and a tattoo artist. He's good looking. He is a good looking adult man. My God. A European teen idol. (laughs) Despite the fact that he's American. (laughs) I do like those Americans that only take off in Europe. Yeah, that's fun. You know? Portraying the childlike empress, the child ruler of all Fantasia, (laughs) we have Tammy Stronach. She is Iranian. Um, She's not done a whole lot, but she definitely has done a lot on the stage. She was Piglet in in the stage adaptation of Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) I think she's a dancer. Like, I think her main hang now is being a successful choreographer. She's a singer. Oh, as well. Uh huh. Oh, wow. Absolutely. Uh, she's a singer, dancer. She's triple threat. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a triple threat. She's creepy in this movie. I love her though. How old is she? She looks. She can't be more than ten. Can you believe she's twelve? In this movie? Yeah, she's eleven, twelve when they made this. Oh wow! I know. As Engiwook and Urgle, <laughs> two gnomes that we meet along the way, we have Sydney Bromley and Patricia Hayes. I love me a squabbling married couple in fantasy lore. Absolutely. Sydney Bromley's an English character actor. None of you will know him. Yeah. Uh, but you'll know him from this. That, that, that You will know him from this. But he's done a lot of Shakespeare, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, and he's just perfect in this role. <laughs> I love Angiwook. He is the me. Yeah. I am the him. (laughs) I am he and he is me and we are all together. And then portraying his wife, Urgel. (laughs) He gets a cool name and she gets Urgel. I know. We have Patricia Hayes, also an English character actress, has done a lot of Shakespeare. I'm seeing a pattern. (laughs) Yeah, no. Big on British television. Portraying Barney Bucks. Bastion's father. I could not stop howling when I realized this. Guys, Please welcome him to Kicking and Streaming. I don't know. I think he might have been here once before. Uh, Not that I remember. But I can't remember. Guys, please welcome Gerald fucking McRaney. I wrote in all capital letters, Ross, 
It's Raymond Tusk. It's Raymond Tusk from House of Cards, which if you, you listen to the podcast, you know, is one of my comfort canons. <laughs> Even though that show is literally about horrible people doing horrible things. You, you seem to like shows about that. He's Major Dad. Yeah. From the, like, 90s. <laughs> right? 89 to 93. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that show had four seasons? I know, yeah. Oh, Lord. Major Dad. Simon and Simon, Promised Land, Deadwood. Ooh, Castle. He's honestly probably the most recognizable person, and he's got one scene. Oh, he's in This Is Us. Oh. He got an Emmy for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right, Gerald. It's just, it's young Gerald McRaney being such a fan of House of Cards, Uh and what a pivotal character Tusk is in that series. It's just so funny, because Tusk is so evil, Uh but it's like the same stir... And then Major Dad, you get it. Uh-huh, like, yeah. he's just perfect for this kind of stuff. Portraying Chiron, the servant of the Empress. Chiron? Chiron, Chiron, whatever you fucking want to. Oh, my God. <laughs> that very ethereal, regal man that I, comes out. How dare you question me? <laughs> we have Broadway star Moses Gunn. Yeah. Oh, he was definitely in ragtime at he's, one point. He's Joe from Little House on the Prairie. Hey. I think he was in the original cast of Pippin. Oh, wow, really? Uh-huh. Oh. Voicing Falcor the Luck Dragon, Gamork, the Servant of the Nothing, Rockbiter, and the Narrator for five seconds at the end. I hate that shit so much. We have Alan Oppenheimer. No relation. <laughs> no relation. No relation. <laughs> <laughs> He's done several voice roles. He's from that 75 uh, Hindenburg movie. Oh. Yeah, I know, I know. He's, I know. He was Mr. Joffer in the original Freaky Friday from 1976. <laughs> oh, geez. I know, I know, I know. Portraying Carl Conrad Coriander, <laughs> a grumpy bookseller, from where we get the mysterious book. We have Thomas Hill, American character actor. Lots of character actors up in this. <laughs> yeah. You will know him from Thomas Hill things. Uh Uh-huh. He's also Mr. Coriander in The NeverEnding Story. I hate this bit. (laughs) Guys, please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, beloved Tim Burton whore, Deep Roy. Oh, right! He's portraying Teeny Weeny. He's not voicing him. No, there's no way. the Germans are racist, but like... Oh! (laughs) They probably didn't like his voice. Oh! Oh, I didn't even consider that. he's Indian. Yeah. Yeah, he's also obviously got a condition, so. Oh, man. Yeah, no. The dub job's bad. I know. It's real bad. He was with us when we covered Corpse Bride. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Napoleon Blown Apart? Uh, yeah, General General Bones Apart. Oh, Bones Apart. Uh-huh. <laughs> Blown Apart. We haven't done Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yet. No. And it's honestly... It's wrong of us. Um, but, you know, he's the Oompa-loompas. Mm-hmm. He's the slaves in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop, the great big greedy nincompoop. That soundtrack does not have to be <laughs> I know. as fire as it is. The music's better than the movie. <laughs> Tim Burton. Let's derail the whole story. <laughs> Carrie, he was also with us when we did The Dark Crystal. He's an additional performer in The Dark Crystal. Oh, I forgot about that. He was also Yoda's stand-in in Star Wars in oh, the wow. 80s. Okay. I know. He's been stand-in for lots of little people roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he and Warwick Davis, they're like this, you know. They yeah. they are tight. We've got Tilo Pruckner portraying the Night Hob, which I will just talk about the Night Hob when we get there. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. And as the voice of Morla. Oh. The Ancient One. We have Robert Easton. 
Robert Easton is known in American media as the man of a thousand voices. Oh. I know. R.I.P. Robert Easton. He's been gone for about a decade, but uh, his career spanned more than six decades. And, you know, he was a leading dialogue and accent coach in Hollywood. Hey! I know, I know. Right? I know. Radio, film, TV, I literally don't have time. We have have to get to the content. All right. Lots to talk about. (laughs) Lots to talk about. Little Onions, the opening credits are the best part of the movie. (laughs) They are not. I know, I know. But to me, they are. But Carrie popping in that VHS? Ooh, yeah. I know. The cloud effects. And the colors, and then the song, because they wrote the song for the movie. Wait a minute, who does the music for this movie? Because that is so crucial. The music is a huge part of this film. I want to make sure we get him in here. Well, Lamal sings the opening song. Well, yeah, but okay, but the score. But the score was done by Klaus Doldinger and Giorgio Moroder. Oh, well, thanks, boys, because this is such a slapper. You're right. The music is crucial. I'm usually the one making that point. Uh Uh-huh. Look at you making the point. (laughs) Yeah. Music is so vital, guys. (laughs) So once we come out of the opening credits, we meet Bastion, who is a sweet, daydreaming little bookworm. BBB. Yeah, BBB. Bastion Balthazar Bucks. (laughs) We cannot call him BBB. Notice the name of the man that he took it from. Carl Conrad Coriander. Oh, it's all alliterative. It's all C's. Oh. And he's B's. So who's the A name person that's going to take him from Bastion? (laughs) Oh, my God. And, you know, he's like, he's like, what, 10 or 11? Yeah. Somewhere in there. Right around in there, yeah. He lives with his widowed father, recently widowed father, Mm -hmm. who is, I wrote, businessman. Oh, no, the dad's (laughs) Gerald McRaney, and I can't stand it. Do not try to spin me, Frank. I am too old to tango. That's from House of Cards. I'm sorry. Okay, it's no. It's my favorite Raymond Tusk line. It's <laughs> a good one. Uh, and like, you know, he and his dad are a little estranged at the moment because they're both in the middle of a grief process. Oh, oh, no. Bastion's obviously distressed about his recently deceased mother and dad is not helping. I had another dream, Dad. About Mom. I understand, son. We have to get on with things, right? Dad is not present. The way this man thinks it's appropriate to crack an egg in some orange juice and call it breakfast? Yeah, no, I... That's a depression meal if I've ever seen one. That that is, I don't have a wife anymore (laughs) to cook me breakfast. Oh, I made myself sad. I know, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, that's a little upsetting because, you know, they, they zoom in on that process. Yeah, and I think it's d- to make you deliberately uncomfortable. Because, <laughs> like, in addition to Bastion being obviously, I don't know, depressed, he's not doing well in school. Yeah. His math teacher's calling up his dad saying he's drawing fucking horses in his math book. They're unicorns. Unicorns. They were unicorns. <laughs> he really wants his dad to know that. And, like, he's not going out for clubs the way he might normally do. And just, it's bad. Dad's trying to get him to be a joiner. He's like, yeah, no, he's like, you gotta get your head out of the clouds. Stop daydreaming and start fixing your own problems. And I'm like, 
He's a kid. Yeah. He's a grieving kid. Yeah. Barney, because that is his name. <laughs> yeah, Barney. Barney Bucks. <laughs> Take it easy on the kid, Barn. Barney Bucks is little to no help. Like, the way he, the way when they wrap that up. Uh, Bastion, you're old enough to get your head down out of the clouds and start keeping both feet on the ground, right? Okay. Stop daydreaming. Start facing your problems, okay? Okay. Okay. had a nice talk. We should have more. You have a good day, son. Don't be late for school again. <laughs> have a good day at school, son. Don't be late. You I... know, and I'm like, what is this, a business meeting? Like, <laughs> comfort your depressed, grieving child. Like, what if mom did most of the child rearing? You know she did. Oh, boy. I, I, I love a man that takes after his mother. Yeah. They're the only men I trust. <laughs> I am one of those men. <laughs> Can you imagine if I took after dad? I probably wouldn't like you very I, much. I know. And I, you know, Carrie, I'd probably like you just fine if you took after mom. But like. Yeah. I mean, I like you. I'm glad that you take after dad, though. It balances us out. It you does. know, like, yeah. It does. <laughs> He's on his way to school and three bullies start shaking him down for lunch money. <sighs> Childhood bullies are just plain evil. I mean, Forget fascism, forget capitalism. <laughs> it's the school age bullies. Oh my god! They chase him down, uh huh, and throw him in a fucking dumpster in a dark alley. And every adult, they fucking run by. No one's helping. I no know. one's like, oh look, those kids are at it again. It's just adulthood in the eighties. No one gives a fuck about the kids. Get, get away, you jerk! Fun fact, one of those bullies is the kid who plays Belch in the It. You love this fact. Miniseries. Yeah, yeah it is. no, yeah. <laughs> so to get away from them, he ducks into Mr. Coriander's bookshop. I don't know if the shop actually has a name, but I just it, no, it, it literally just is Mr. Coriander's bookshop. <laughs> And Mr. Coriander does not like kids much because they'd rather be in an arcade than reading. Here's my thing. He didn't look. He didn't know who just came in the shop. <laughs> just disembodied voice from back in the shop. Get out of here. I don't like kids. <laughs> How'd you know it was a kid? Exactly. Like what? And the way Bastion has to recite his reading list to this man just to get some goddamn respect. Oh, no, yeah, because Coriander's like, you might want to try the arcade down the street because all we have are these little objects called books. And you're a stupid kid, and I don't think you like books. Here we just sell small rectangular objects. They're called books. They require a little effort on your part and make no beep, 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 beeps. On your way, please. I know books. I have 186 of them at home. Ah, comic books. No, I've read Treasure Island, The Last of the Mohicans, Wizard of Oz, Lord of the Rings, 20,000 Leagues on the Sea, Tarzan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Bastion knows books. He has 186 of them at home. <laughs> okay? Uh, the way, the fact that he knows how many there are. I, This kid and I would have been great friends when I was little. And Mr. Coriander is, you know, ignoring the shop and having reading time with this gigantic tome in his lap. It's a special book. <laughs> Bastion's like, well, what are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> this is a book that he alleges is not safe. Yeah, Coriander said, this is not for you. 
<laughs> These are not, this is not for your eyes. This like, is not kindergarten. No. You cannot read this book. It's not for sale. This is a book where the story actually happens to you. Yeah, no. But it's only a story. That's what I'm talking about. The ones you read are safe. So, naturally, Bastion steals the book. Yeah, Coriander gets a phone call, and while he's overtaking it, Bastion decides to slide that newspaper off the cover of mm -hmm. the book, and there it is. The never-ending story. With the Auron amulet on the cover. Oh, and we'll get back to the Auron. I want that prop. You want that prop? I want that book so badly. I know. Because I know, I know it's illustrated for Jesus, uh -huh. and I just, mm, I just <laughs> want the prop itself. You know, Bastion steals the book and leaves a note saying he'll return it because, you know, he's interested. Yeah, that, that bookseller also totally manipulated him into getting it, too. Like, in my eye, this is too dangerous. So, Bastion hurries to school where he realizes he's so late that he's missing his math test <laughs> that he should be doing well on. And he then, very easily, instead of making himself known, grabs the very available key from the broken key keep... <laughs> And steals into the school attic to just sit and read all day. This is the hokiest school attic you've ever seen. The things in this attic, it's unnecessarily spooky. It is. There's animal heads in here. The skeleton? The and fuck? the two mannequins that look like they're decomposing? All the fucking cobwebs, an inch of dust. No one's been up here since three centuries ago. I mean, that's three centuries ago. He drags that mat into the middle of the attic, plops himself down, and gets that book in his lap, and it's that music. Yeah. And it's just that little smirk he gets on his face mm -hmm. before opening up the book. I'm thinking, look. I know, I literally, we both have goosebumps right now. It's just, oh. it's putting you right there. And he cracks open that book and he begins to read. So at the beginning of the narrative, we're in the land of Fantasia. And uh, we have the Rockbiter. He's the very first character we meet. Rockbiter is a rock giant who eats rocks, which you know what my question is. Yeah, no, isn't that like... Cannibalism? Yeah, no, what if we... <sighs> what if we sustained on flesh only? Stop. And then we're consequentially made of flesh? Here's my theory. Here's my headcanon on Rockbiter. Okay. Was once a man. Okay. Or maybe a little boy. Uh-huh. Who started eating rocks one day. And managed to keep all his teeth. And because they're Fantasia rocks, you know, it's magic. Uh-huh. And so he just slowly but surely turns into a rock person. <laughs> and then the more rocks he consumes, the bigger he gets. It was midnight in the howling forest. The wind whistled through the tops of the ancient trees. Suddenly something enormous crashed and rumbled through the eerie woods. Rockbiter is just zooming through the forest. On this colossal double-wheeled bike? Like, it's very Flintstones. Yeah, it is Flintstones. <laughs> and he rolls up on the camp of the Night Hob, who looks like a goblin. Listen, okay. Here's Teeny Weenie and Night Hob, okay? The Night Hob, the Sada character. The, the Beelzebub character. Shout out to you, Sada. You're absolutely Night Hob. Night Hob is this goblin-esque, elf-esque, 
dirt urchin that <laughs> dirt urchin. I don't know. He's so raggedy. His design is great. He's really off-putting looking, but he's funny. He is funny. You know, he flies around on a huge bat. Yeah. A huge colossal bat. The bat's cute. I like to think that the civilization in Fantasia he comes from, they that's how they all travel. Everyone has a bat. You know, like a Targaryen to a dragon. Yeah. You know, like, I, that's what I would like to think. And then we have Teeny Weenie. Which I can't believe that's his name. This very tiny man in a very elegant maroon suit. Oh yeah, with a little top hat. With the top hat on. His steed is a racing snail. And we'll get to it. <laughs> But, like, almost runs them over, Rockbiter does, but stops just in time. And you know what? He's polite. He is. Excuse me. (laughs) Where where I come from in the north, we used to have exquisite gourmet rocks. Only now. Now. They're all gone. I know how it happened. I I swear it wasn't me. Rockbiter is on the run from what is being referred to in Fantasia as the nothing. It's depression. It, it yeah. Sorry. <laughs> It's a giant metaphor for depression. Just saying. We'll just spoil it now. And it's this looming blackness that swallows everything in its path. It everything just ceases to exist it's when like, the when the nothing passes over. It's it. like Fantasia swirling into a black hole or something. A little you know? bit, yeah. And by coincidence, Night Hob and Teeny Weeny have also experienced this in their parts of Fantasia. They're all like little representatives. Yeah. They're all like diplomats of their own people going to the seat of power in Fantasia to ask for help. The heart of Fantasia to the ivory tower. To- Which is also great symbolism, just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're going to see the Empress and beg her for counsel in this matter because she's one of the wisest people in all of the land. Is a child. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Spoiling that as well. She is on the cover. Like, yeah, no. it's not like that's a huge reveal. And so they all travel to the ivory tower together. And this music, again with the music, gets me every time. Oh, I know. Absolute goosebumps on every inch of my skin going to the ivory tower. Because they're like, what are we waiting for? When Teeny Weenie takes off on the snail. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to carry you? That's a fucking snail, says Rockbiter. <laughs> And he's like, no, don't worry. It's a racing snail. <laughs> and then pew, pew, it takes off. And, <laughs> and they're standing on the edge of this cliff looking at the ivory tower. And then it cuts to the ivory tower. And whatever instrument that is goes off. I never knew it was that beautiful. Nighthob getting in the little window around the edge to watch the scene unfold. Oh, yeah. And that dumb hang glider bat puppet. (laughs) It's so cute. Yeah, they go to the top of the ivory tower. And the castle opens its lips, quite literally. Stop. Sorry. Please don't. It looks like a flower, you know? Right. That's totally Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. (laughs) You. No. It was you that brought the innuendo into this. Okay, I did say lips. Flowers don't have lips. You're right. Come on. I mean, it's like a mouth. Anyway, (laughs) here we have Chiron, Chiron. Yeah, he is here to address a gathering of different representatives from all over Fantasia. And something that had to be pointed out to me by a YouTuber, there are other canons present 
in this gathering. We don't get any close shots on them because that would totally break everything. I mean, we get some, like... Well, E.T. is there. Yoda is visible. You're right, they are there. I forgot about this. Yeah, no, seriously. You don't really, you have to look. Uh-huh. You have to look in the background to notice, but they are there. Uh-huh. Oh my God. I know, I know. I love it. The nothing is destroying our world. I also know that you have come to beseech the Empress for help. But I, I have terrible news. The Empress herself has become deathly ill. Everyone is here to ask the Empress what to do about the nothing. Like, um, Mom, can you come pick me up? There's a blackness after me. <laughs> and like the chief of staff, Chiron. <laughs> yeah. Chiron, whatever. He comes out and he's like, listen, no y'all came for help. No y'all have an appointment. Thank you for staying around, okay? <laughs> Guess what? Uh, the Empress is out of the office today. <laughs> She's deathly ill. She cannot help you. And everyone's like, what? There's a literal void swallowing the planet. Like, can we please have help? She's dying from a mysterious illness that is allegedly attached to the encroaching nothing. Oh, God. And she can't save anybody from it because she's dying. And the only hope left for the people of Fantasia is the help of the Plains people who hunt the purple buffalo. The Native Americans. Yeah, no, the, the Plains people are heavily Native American coded. Yeah, no. The Empress has sent for the Plains people's best warrior. the Allegedly the most brave and adept warrior in their entire group. He is our only hope. His name... Is a Treyu. When it cuts out of the novel to Bastion, and he's just like thinking to him, he's picturing him in his head right before he appears on screen. Yeah. A Treyu. Which is a great name, by the way. Yeah. It's amazing. And when a Treyu arrives, he's a 13 year old boy. That's a child. <laughs> and that's an ugly, pimply bitch. You know that video? Yeah. I love that video. Like, everybody's like, Mom, where's the warrior? Like, this is a child. And obviously everybody has their doubts about this, but they don't really have a lot of options at this point. <laughs> Treyu isn't a child. Atreyu's a warrior. I'm the only Atreyu of the Plains people. Yeah. But I'll be happy to go back to hunting the purple buffalo. <laughs> Hold my ass all the way here and you insult me? Yeah, no, seriously. Now who's a child? Like, <laughs> And like, Chiron is about to ask him to go on this incredibly difficult quest to find a cure for whatever's killing the Empress. And he's like, you have to go alone? You have to leave all your weapons behind? And I have in huge capital letters. Why? This is a suicide mission, is basically what Chiron is telling him. And you know what? Atreyu thinks about it hard for a second and then just gives over all his weapons. Yeah, and he's like, when do I leave? And before he leaves, Chiron gives Atreyu this pendant called the Auron. An amulet that protects him from all harm. What does he tell him about the Auron, Carrie? He who wears the Auron speaks for the Empress. It will guide and protect you. We keep 
cutting back and forth to Bastion as he's reading, and I love that little smile he gets on his face. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. Yeah. Oh, getting so excited. God, I wish I had time to read. I know. Oh, my. I miss it so much. Time for desert long shots and helicopter shots. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Montage time! <laughs> With that great music. Oh. Atreyu is just riding aimlessly yeah. in search of a cure. At the same time, elsewhere in Fantasia, a creature of darkness also began his quest. Not Gamork. Yeah, yeah, no. Gamork is, um, nopey. <laughs> um, Gamork is a servant of the nothing. Yeah. He is a canine creature. Oh, he's a big black wolf. You, Huge, though. He's like lion size. You would equate him to, it's like the legend of the Grimm. Yeah. Right? You know, it's like, well, I'm taking that from Harry Potter, but Joanne took it from lore. Like, it's yeah. not like... <laughs> <laughs> Joanne stole a lot of things. It's like a Kelpie, right? You yeah. know, it's oh, like, man. You, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I love that we yes and and agree sometimes <laughs> just to move on. I get it. It's been what, 45 minutes? It's been 50. Wow! <laughs> and we just got started. Let's go. I'm sorry. Atreyu sets off on his horse, Artax. Mm -hmm. They don't find a cure, so now they're seeking out Morla, the wisest being in Fantasia, who lives on Shell Mountain somewhere in the swamps of sadness. Everyone knew that whoever let the sadness overtake him would sink into the swamp. Doing fine, Ortex. That's right. Come on, Ortex. What's the matter? What's wrong? And guys, family meeting. Yeah, no, guys, everybody get together, okay? <laughs> put down your put down your games, put down your cleaning, pull over. <laughs> because this is the part that we all obviously remember with deep and personal trauma. This is absolutely I after this scene, as I've said many a time, I am the very tepid groundwater uh -huh. that exists underneath the floorboards of the place where I'm watching this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um this is the part of the movie that I would always fast forward through as a child. Yeah. It was non-negotiable for me. You're going to watch NeverEnding Story? You're going to fast forward through that part of the movie. It's so bad because the Swamps of Sadness, guys, is this. it's literally what it says. It's, it's more depression. It's a more depression uh, metaphor. Yes. Yes, absolutely. If you have sadness in your heart, then the swamp could literally suck you down and overcome you. And you'll die. Yeah. And Atreyu is leading Artax by the bridle through the swamp so that he won't sink easily. He's such a beautiful animal. This is a beautiful white horse. Oh. What's the matter? I understand. It's too difficult for you. Artax, you're sinking! Come on, turn around! 
And apparently this was a very lengthy process to shoot this scene. Well, I can imagine. It's obviously a real horse. Where's my no animals were harmed in the making of this film disclaimer? Uh, Hold on. I'll get to it in just a second. Okay. But Artax just stops moving. Yeah, he's like completely, like, he's like torso deep in the swamp. And that's what's so, what was so difficult about this is that a horse's instinct is I'm sinking, I need to hop out. Uh And it took them seven weeks to train these horses not to move as this hydraulic platform goes up and down. Oh, no. Yeah, because... I was wondering how they were doing it. Yeah, it's a hydraulic platform. And Atreyu starts to freak out because obviously he's sinking. And the horse will not move no matter how much he yanks. He's begging him, please, you have to try for me. You're my friend. And I'm, I'm going to start tearing up just talking about it. And what's disconcerting is that the more this horse sinks, the more genuinely freaked out the horse looks. Oh, yeah, I know. That horse's eyes, I'm like, Because it's like I'm sinking. He's like up to his neck now. And as the screaming continues, especially that last scream, I'm just absolutely... I know. Oh. He really is all alone now. We're feeling it. I bet everyone in a goddamn theater in 1984 at this point was like, we have to leave. Yeah. Like, I... What do you mean they killed his horse? What do you mean? It's been 20 minutes. What the fuck is he going to do? You know what? They honestly just killed Artex so we could have the fucking dragon. (laughs) And you know what? We could have had both. (laughs) And I know what you're saying. How's that dragon going to carry around that horse? (laughs) But whatever, okay? We're still going to take it personally. Oh my goodness. Not there yet, though, are we? We're not there yet. So Atreyu arrives at Shell Mountain, which is really more of a hill than a mountain. Yeah, no, it's a hill. He gets all the way on top of that hill. There's nothing up there. Yeah. Morla. (laughs) Morla! Bueller! (laughs) Like, I came all the way here. My horse is dead. Where the fuck's the ancient one? And the thing is, he's standing on her. Okay, I've said it before this month and I'll say it again. I'm standing beside Shell Mountain going, that's not the worm. That's not the worm. (laughs) That's That's its its tongue. tongue. (laughs) The whole hill begins to move. And he falls all the way down. Poor Noah, poor little Noah Hathaway. I Being know. completely grime. I wonder what all of this is. You think it's actual mud? It must be. Or like, it's. It, there's got to be a thickening agent in it that all makes I'm, it stick to him. All I'm saying is it's in his hair, it's in his eyes, it's in his mouth, it's I in know. his nose. I know. And like he, once he slides off that mountain, he climbs up in a tree and we realize what, Carrie? That Morla is a gigantic turtle. <sighs> I love this symbolism yeah i love it because there's lots in ancient lore about ancient turtles that allegedly carry the world on their backs and know everything not to mention actual turtles and tortoises live hundreds of years i think it's a very deep connection because obviously like a deep connection character wise because obviously atreyu was taken from native american lore Mm -hmm. right or at least inspired Coded, as you said. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like when you think about like Legend of Korra mm-hmm. with the turtle metaphor, yeah. that's how all of the nations began. Mm-hmm. We're on the backs of turtles. Yeah. And then 
when you think about how in most Native American languages, the terms they used for the American continents obviously wasn't America. They were called the Great Turtle Island. Oh, oh! That's what North America is known as in most Native American cultures is Turtle Island. Oh, that's cool. Which is funny calling this whole continent an island, but... Yeah. When Morla's head pops out and Bastion yells... This comically badly cut scream, like... (laughs) It's not that scary, Bastion, like... (laughs) And both Atreyu and Morla start looking around in the story... Oh, yeah, no, they heard him. They, they heard, heard Bastion scream. They fucking hear him. And Morla, I kind of hate Morla. Like, I think she's cool. Like, she's a beautifully designed creature. But as a character, I just kind of hate her because she's pretty apathetic about the fact that the world is slowly being eroded. Yeah, no, and I, it's a very... It's a very interesting character. <laughs> Not that it matters, but yes. <laughs> and also the referring to herself in a plural third person. Yeah, she refers to herself as we because she has no one else to talk to, talks to herself. Yeah. And now there's a plurality in her. And Atreyu informs Marla that the Empress is ill, and if he can't help her, the world will cease to exist because of the nothing. But Marla does not care. You know how I can help the Empress, don't you? Not that it matters. But, yes. If you don't tell me and the nothing keeps coming, you'll die too. Both of you. Die? That at least would be something. Keeping on trend with people that are absolutely no help in this movie. (laughs) Morla basically tells him, listen, kid, I don't have any answers. Yeah. But you know who does? The Southern Oracle. And we're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) How can I get there? You can't. It's 10,000 miles away. That's so far. That's right. Forget it. you. that's so far. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> this poor kid. I like... know. And like, this is what happens when you live too long, y'all. You just stop caring and you're just patiently waiting for the sweet release of death. Yeah, no. Like, I th- she has no help at all. It's giving apathy. It's giving, <laughs> um, it's your problem, not mine. Yeah. It, yeah. Cut back to Atreyu, just slogging through the swamps of sadness, all alone. Yeah. Muddy, tired, hopeless. How the swamp hasn't gotten to him, I'll never understand. He makes it quite a ways. It's not far, but it's quite a ways. And Gamork is on his tail. Which makes no sense. Why? That wolf should be sinking. (laughs) It's It's running fast. It's an evil being, though. All right, whatever. And, you know, it it gets to this point where you think the swamp is going to either take Atreyu or that Gamork is going to catch up to him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the sky opens up. Indeed. And this furry snake dog (laughs) comes. (laughs) (laughs) He is a furry snake dog. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't reveal it. Don't reveal it. Don't say who it is. Just. What's he do? What's the furry snake dog do? <laughs> he plucks Atreyu out of the swamp of sadness. In the nick of time. Yeah, right before Gamort grabs him. <laughs> <laughs> furry snake dog. Furry snake dog. 
<laughs> He's so cute. I, I know. I can't. And Atreus out for days, but when he wakes up, He's in the lap of the furry snake dog. He's not in danger. His wounds have bandages on them. He's clean. Yeah. And And he's just like, what? (laughs) Well, this thing might eat me, so I'm just going to step away here. Yeah, this furry snake dog is actually quite large. You know, he's white. And we say dog because his face is very... um, Collie-esque. Yeah, it's got canine tones to it, you know. Big floppy ears. And he's just like, he's pearly and glistening. He's always shining, possibly shining. All of those individual scales that I know had to be affixed by hand. This is a beautiful creation, this puppet. Oh my God. This colossal puppet. It's so amazing. I want a museum for all of the famous colossal puppets in film. Oh my God, yes! We need Audrey too. Uh Uh-huh. We need Falcor. Oh yeah. We need Jim Henson Skeksy Things. We need... The Rock Biter. Yeah. We need, oh God, Morla. There's so many things. Falcor is so cute. Like I said, he's basically a dog that can fly, but he's actually a luck dragon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, put some respect on his name. He catches a tray you trying to sneak away. It's so funny. I, I have to... I was trying to... Sneak away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, no, no. I like children. For breakfast? <laughs> Never. I'm a luck dragon. My name is Falcor. <laughs> the facial control on this puppet. For 84? When he's delivering these lines. It's amazing. Like, the mouth is not perfect. It's the nose that gets me. I know. that. Like, the way they're controlling the tip of his nose, uh-huh. making him scrunch, his tongue. Yeah. As to, like, obviously, it's a dubbed puppet. Like, it's not <laughs> that good of a, like, his his eyes and his brows and his nose working together so fluidly yeah. that you just almost believe it's real. Your be- your belief is not completely suspended, but uh-huh. like it almost is, you know? There's just something about those practical effects, man. I know I could reach out and touch that puppet if I were standing in its presence. Gorgeous creation. Oh, Gorgeous. Man. And in addition to saving his life, Falcor has also done him the huge service of flying him almost the full 10,000 miles towards the Southern Oracle. Yeah. (laughs) We're almost there. It was the Ernie the Giant chicken fight of the never-ending story. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah, you know, like... And Falcor's not the only new friend hanging around. We've also got a pair of gnome people. Engiwook, who is a scientist, and his wife, Urgel. Get out of my light, witch. Uh, You're disturbing my scientific work. You and your scientific work. What the boy needs now is one of my potions. The boy will need my scientific advice much more. Yes, yes, but not until he's well dead. I'm going this way. It's giving Miracle Max and Valerie vibes. Yeah, yeah, from Princess Bride, absolutely. (laughs) I love me an old married couple who can't stop squabbling. It is one of my favorite film tropes. Angie Wook is an avid researcher and scientist who is an expert 
on the Southern Oracle, hence why they live so goddamn close. He's writing a book about it, and he's very excited to show Atreyu his work. Oh, he's awake! <laughs> oh, he's well! And, uh, yeah, yeah. Sidney Bromley is just too good. He's just too good. My name's Atreyu. I came here to find the Southern Oracle. Oh, here we go again. You've come to the right place, my boy. I am somewhat of an expert on the Southern Oracle. It is my scientific speciality. It's my scientific speciality. <laughs> All right, he's me. Okay, I get it. I get it. I see what you're doing. All right. When I have a lot of information and I want to share it because no one else cares, this <laughs> angry book. Yes. He takes Atreyu up to his little observatory, which is funny because cause they're gnomes. They've had to engineer like this wench system so that Engiwook can get up there in a bucket and Atreyu can just like climb the rock. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're small. <laughs> they had to build a pulley system to get over to where they need to be. And he's also built this telescope to observe the closest gate of the Southern Oracle. My favorite detail is the crystal scopes. Yeah. On the telescope. Isn't that cool? And like... You know, Atreyu looks through the telescope and sees at this gate, it's two colossal golden sphinxes standing yeah. on either side of a, you know, a cavern. A gorge. Gorge. A yeah. trench. A trench. Whatever. Yeah, whatever, yeah. <laughs> but this is only the first of two gates. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because Atreyu goes, is that the Southern Oracle? And you just want to hear yes. <laughs> I know. But Angie what goes, no, <laughs> just the first of two gates that you must pass for before you reach the Southern Oracle. And if I was a Treyu, uh-huh. I would have grabbed him by his facial hair <laughs> and yeeted him off that mountain. It's not Angiwook's fault. I'm like, fuck it. No, goddammit. How much farther do I have to go? It's the first of the two gates you must pass through before you reach the Southern Oracle and get me the final information from my book. Of course, most people never get that far. Why? The Sphinx's eyes stay closed until someone who does not feel his own worth tries to pass by. You know, we do get caught up in covering all of the effect and how this is affecting the character, but the actual things that this narrative is trying to instill in you... As you go along here, mm-hmm. you know, not only embracing having your head in the clouds a little bit, but like you're, pre- you know, you're presented with this awful conflict that is enveloping the whole world and hardly anyone seems to have any power or any care to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And then you are confronted with the person you're told can help you, but who actually does not give a fuck at all. Oh, geez. And then passes you off on someone because you're a problem to them. Yeah. Morla. Yeah. You know, like. Exactly. And now he's here at this gate and he's being told, if you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to get any further. Yeah. Yeah. And when he's gone through so much already. I know. And like, they watch this night try to go through the gate <laughs> come on scaredy cat <laughs> oh go on if this knight tries to go through this gate and he doesn't believe in himself the eyes of the sphinx are going to open and he'll be eviscerated he's pretty cocky i don't know but yeah guys they watch this guy take a charge through and he does not get there oh he they watch him get atomized yeah no um 
those sphinx eyes open up and they shoot him to death oh. with laser beams from the eyes. It's so much. I love the sound effect. Atreyu, much to Engiwook's protestations, decides he's going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try it. No! <laughs> Please don't do this. Well, he was just hair on fire excited 10 minutes ago about Atreyu trying it so he could have more research for yeah. his goddamn 10-volume book, you know? <laughs> but now all of a sudden he's uh, pedaling back on that. It's too dangerous, Atreyu! <laughs> Atreyu! And, like, Atreyu is walking up towards these sphinxes. And at first it looks like he might be fine. He is Atreyu, the greatest warrior of the plains people. There's a thing about these parts of the movie that are nothing but shots and music. Mm-hmm. There's no dialogue that are just, in my opinion, some of the best parts of the movie, like flying up to the ivory tower with mm-hmm. that wonderful musical track and just this really creepy, like the moment where he's about to open the book and it's just silence in the creepy attic mm-hmm. and the music starts playing or like when, like just now when he's walking up to these sphinxes. It's just such a creepy undertrack. It's so cool, though. Because he knows what could happen, but he's going to try anyway. But then he gets up and he sees the remains of that night. Yeah, he's fried. He starts to doubt himself a little bit. Oh, no. Don't start to doubt yourself. Be confident. And the Sphinx's eyes are starting to open. Run, Atreyu! Run! Run, Atreyu! Run, barely gets past those gates. As we knew he would. There's like 40 minutes of movie left. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like, and like, oh my god, Engiwook sends me. He jumps in the basket to go down and tell Urgle, he made it! He made it! He made it! <laughs> He's so excited. Oh man. And Falcor says, well that's great. He made it. And Engiwook's like, no. <laughs> no, wait, yeah, no, that's the thing. He's like, he made it, but wait. <laughs> Because now we have to go through the second gate. This is the most off-the-cuff part of the movie for me. Yeah? It's like the movie, it's like the part of the movie, like, obviously Artex is awful. Yeah. But this is the Artex of the second act. Yeah. For me. Because this is the magic mirrored gate. This is like a big mirror in a snowy expanse. No, he's wandered into this snow, this blizzard expanse, and he's coming up to this big circular mirror. And, you know, Angie Wook is describing it, and he's like, this is a mirror that will show you your true self. And Falcor's like, well, that's not a big deal. Atreo's a good kid. That won't be too hard for him. Oh, that's what everyone thinks. But kind people find that they are cruel. Brave men discover that they are really cowards. Confronted with their true selves, most men run away, 
Screaming! And we're back in the snowy expanse, and he's wandering through this blizzard, not being able to see, and it just appears to him. And it's just, there's nothing behind it. He obviously has to go through it after seeing his own reflection. Yeah, he gets up to the mirror, and like, we're watching him stare at himself in the mirror. And the camera's getting closer and closer to them in the center. And the mirror begins to fade a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we can see in it Bastion reading the book. Like Bastion is the reflection. Sitting in the attic. And we can see his eyes squinting and squinting and squinting reading along. And he just like looks up dead in front of him. And Atreyu sees him. Sebastian shutting that thing closed and yeeting it across the attic. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, wrote, I wrote the way he yeets that book across the attic. Bear Oliver gives such great face. <laughs> staring at it, shaking his head. <laughs> Fucking no. Like, this has gone too far. <laughs> but the concept of the characters knowing about him, mm-hmm. that's too interesting for him to pass up. Atreyu's true self is you, the yeah. reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's so meta. And <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> and my, in the story, Atreyu doesn't find the reflection maddening as much as he finds it confusing. So he's just like, okay, I'll just go through the mirror. It's no problem. This is actually a very cool optical illusion of him walking through this mirror because the mirror's got a hole in it, but the way the camera's positioned, we can't, can't see, see the it. hole. Yeah, so they... it just practically looks like he just walks through the mirror. It's so neat. I love it. Bastion has now set himself up with candles in the attic because the daylight has vanished. Yeah. And he's all alone in this school attic. Where does his father think he is? Yeah, I don't know. You know what? No. We've had enough Gerald McRaney. <laughs> But, like, is there not a janitor around listening to this kid scream? No one cares what's in that attic. I guess. The key was available. I know. To anyone that wanted it. We've arrived at the Southern Oracle, which is basically just the first gate lit by blue light instead Instead of of yellow. Instead of yellow, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just the same two sphinxes. (laughs) With the titties. We didn't talk about the The gigantic (laughs) rack on these these sphinxes. Must have had kids asking questions. Like, um, mom? Why does the gate have boobs? Why does the gate... You, why doesn't the gate have boobs, to be quite honest? Organath, what are you even doing? Oh, you know, in Lord of the Rings? Yeah, the two big Gondorian kings? <laughs> why don't they have huge racks like these sphinxes? <laughs> and then he's walking up. Do not be afraid. We will not harm you. We have been waiting to a long time, and, I, and, I, and I'm like, um, no! <laughs> Did they expect that to be comforting? I just, I don't like it. Because they're speaking, but their mouths aren't moving. You know what my favorite part about this is? What? There's no voice credit on these sphinxes. Really? No, I can't find one. Oh, wow. I know, I wonder who it is. Oh, wow. Because I wonder if it's one woman whose voice has been doubled, uh-huh. or if it's two different people. It's just interesting to me. It's a great voice performance, is the Southern Oracle. And Atreyu cuts right to the chase. How do I save the Empress and then Fantasia by extension? Yeah. <laughs> And like everybody else in this 
this movie. Who said they'd have answers. The answer is not perfect. The Empress needs a new name. A new name? That's all? But that's easy. I can give her any name she wants. No one from Fantasia can do it. Only a human child can give her this new name. Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> That's all? <laughs> I can give her any name she wants! Yeah. <laughs> but the name has to be selected by a human child. Who can only be contacted beyond the bounds of Fantasia. <laughs> So we're back to square one. That's pretty much par for the course. And Atreyu gets back on Falcor, and they start flying across Fantasia, looking for the edge of it. Like, looking for the boundary. Allegedly, no one's ever been on beyond the boundaries of Fantasia. And they get to the Sea of Possibilities, where they fly almost head-on into the nothing. Yeah, um, uh-huh. listen. Yeah. Falcor... Luck dragging my ass. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Well, they had to know that eventually they'd come upon the nothing, right? Uh, they'd come upon it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know they'd come upon the nothing. <laughs> the nothing is sucking a tray you have on a dragon. <laughs> yeah. The nothing is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, he's doing the hands and everything. A tray you goes, oh, do 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 and falls. <laughs> No, the turbulence! The turbulence of the nothing! You made a Mario noise! I can't! No, Treyu was literally, Mamma Mia! And falls all the way into the sea off of Falkor. When Atreyu comes to... He's on the shore near some ruins. This is like one of the only remaining places in Fantasia right now. Mm-hmm. There's no Falcor. What does he not have when he washes up, Carrie? The Auron. Yeah, the amulet is gone. The Auron is gone from around his neck, and he's not the only one on the beach. Oh, fuck. This part also makes me big sad, because Rockbiter is here. Mm-hmm. But he's alone, and he's crying. This big giant rock baby is crying I know. because he lost his friends when the nothing was after them. They slipped out of his hands, he said. Yeah. He's like, look at my hands. Look at how big and strong my hands are. You'd think I could have saved my friends. It's so sad. Yeah, it's like it's like when you have friends and family members that slip into nothingness. Oh. You know, and it's like, I'm so strong. Why couldn't I have saved them? You know, like, yeah. why couldn't I have done more to save them? The little man with his racing snail. The nighthawk. Even the stupid bat. I couldn't hold on to them. The nothing pulled them right out of my hands. I failed. No, you didn't fail. I'm the one who failed. I was the one chosen to stop the nothing. And Rockbiter says he's just gonna sit there and let the nothing take him too. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. Well, there's no reason anymore. Oh, my. His people are gone, his friends are gone, like, it... 
I know. It's too much. I know. Atreyu goes to these nearby ruins, and the nothing is already starting to shake and rattle the environment. I have a headcanon. Yeah? This is the Gelfling ruin. Oh, really? <laughs> what if they're on Thra? I don't know, man. I, mean, I think they could. I love this. Uh-huh. What, what? I love the idea of the Dark Crystal and the never-ending story being in the same universe. <laughs> I love it. Let's write that crossover We movie. need to. <laughs> he walks into this temple with all these murals on the wall that were foretelling his adventures. Like, there's a mural of him riding away from the ivory tower on Artax, and there's Artax's death in the swamps of sadness. It's very Dark Crystal. Uh-huh. Just saying. There's one of him speaking to Morla, and the one mural he doesn't recognize is the terrifying face of Gamork staring out at him from we, the darkness. We, that's a disconcerting moment when he <laughs> when we pan over to that mural. Because that, that hasn't happened yet. But guess what? <laughs> it's about to. Because he's over there. That music vamp. Oh, I know. <laughs> and in the shadow, you can barely see that puppet growling Gmork like guys I know it's a puppet but yeah it's so disconcerting this is one of the best looking puppets they made and you know just the fact that you can barely see him back there you can see his snout you can see his jowls and his sharp teeth and his bright luminous green eyes it's so and the voice is so terrifying. Yeah, no, he's basically like, hi, I'm Gamork. I'm 13, and I never learned how to read. <laughs> Stop. No, I'm kidding. No. Who are you? I am the Mork. And you, whoever you are, can have the honor of being my last victim. I will not die easily. I am a warrior. <laughs> Brave warrior. He tells him I'm the servant of the nothing, bitch. Yeah. And I was gonna tear this world down, and, I, and I'm and i getting there, but, like, I had a very specific objective, and it was taken from me. I was supposed to be tracking down the warrior that is gonna save the Empress so that the nothing can succeed. Yeah, Gamark doesn't seem to know that he's a Treyu. Yeah, which is ridiculous. <laughs> well, maybe it's because he's looking for a grown man and not a boy. Well, he's seen him a couple of times now. Okay, all right, yeah. Uh, it's just like, Leave that obviously alone. a child. We all said it. When <laughs> yeah. he walked up to the ivory tower, we said, that's a child. <laughs> and he starts taunting Atreyu about being his, quote, last victim and about not being able to fight the nothing. Foolish boy. Don't you know anything about Fantasia? It's the world of human fantasy. Every part, every creature of it, is a piece of the dreams and hopes of mankind. Therefore, it has no boundary. Yeah, guys, he basically tells him that Santa Claus doesn't exist. It's like... Gamork is saying the quiet part out loud in the nastiest way. Yeah, we are living in a fantasy land, kid. We are just the hopes and dreams and imaginations of other people who don't exist here. The 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 
the malignancy yeah of this character of the of Gamork yeah. who is this servant of nothingness of void wanting to erase human memory it's like um it's like game of thrones oh dear the night king wants to erase man yeah and the memory of the living in order to achieve an endless night who wants to be the king of nothing that's all i'm saying and i don't know what is the nothing it's the emptiness that's left. It is like a despair destroying this world. And I have been trying to help it. But why? Because people who have no hopes are easy to control. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Stop! Ah! Stop yelling! Ah! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's too true, right? <laughs> People who have nothing are really easy to control. And, like, Atreyu's sick of it at this point. He's like, well, I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well go out like the warrior I am. He picks up this sharp rock he found on the ground. If we're about to die anyway, I'd rather die fighting! Come for me, Gmok! I am Atreyu! <laughs> And, and, and the growling and the yelling and the ah. Uh... He got hurt bad during this scene, I think. Noah did. How? Because Gamork pounces on him, right? Yeah. And while they're operating the puppet, apparently one of his claws, like, almost hit him in the eye. Uh-oh. And not to mention the things on top of him, right? And it's huge and really heavy. He almost suffocated. Oh, no. Guys, protect children in 80s movies. They just won't do it. Protect children always. Uh, Yeah, no, also. Not just in 80s movies, please. (laughs) And guys, it's super easy. I think that's why why it's super easy is what you just said. Yeah. They probably had a whole thing planned out. They injured the actor. (laughs) And so now we just cut to him being automatically dead, impaled by the shard. The shard. No, it's a rock. Uh, no, come on. It's a sharp rock. It's po- Stop. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop it. They're in the same universe. <laughs> no, they're not. It's a shard. Of- this is a piece of the dark crystal. And that was a piece of a broken rock. Like, it's... So is- that's what the dark crystal is. <laughs> but it's not a magic broken rock. We're getting... It is a magic broken rock. No, not the rock he's talking... Not the rock he's holding. We're getting off topic. <laughs> I'm raining this in. I'm sorry. The wind is a whipping, and the nothing is here, and it's about to completely erase Fantasia from existence. And Falcor, who has found the Orin while he was looking for Atreyu, because he's a luck dragon. He's a luck dragon. Since <laughs> <laughs> long snake dog, <laughs> and he scoops Atreyu up off the ground. And they just watch Fantasia disappear from underneath them. (gasps) They're literally floating through space. Yeah, we're like in an asteroid field. Yeah. Like just like Alderaan or some shit, you know? Just the broken pieces of the universe all around them. And, like, it's really sad because you're like, wait a minute, they didn't stop it. Mm-hmm. And their only remaining hope is that maybe the ivory tower is still standing somewhere. Yeah. And so they hold up the Orin 
and say, guide us, guide us to the ivory tower. Which, I'm sorry, you can ask the Auron for things? <laughs> this <laughs> is the 11th hour! Yeah, it seems a little late for us to just now be learning this. Come on! And sure enough, they go right to the floating rock where the ivory tower is still indeed standing. <laughs> Perfectly standing. <laughs> <laughs> and Falcor sets down on top of the ivory tower and Atreyu enters the chamber of the Empress. Go straight through the lips. Stop. And into the, I'm sorry. Not this again. <laughs> and yeah, guys, she is in fact a small child. Like, I know we were all expecting something a little different, but... Well, she's fucking sitting upright. Doesn't look like she's dying to me. Oh, this is the part where Ross gets really upset. She looks healthy. I don't know. (laughs) Atreyu. Why do you look so sad? Tell me why you find Tammy Stronach a little disconcerting in this role. Because the poor thing, she was one of the last people they cast for this. Uh They spent forever looking for the right kid. And then, like, two weeks before she's supposed to start filming, her two front teeth fall out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then they had to fit her with a flipper, which is why she has a full set of adult teeth. Yeah, yeah. See, see, (laughs) she's a little girl with lady teeth. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why you don't like it. And then the poor thing couldn't talk around the teeth without lisping. His own story. Yeah. Right now. So her mouth movements are, she's got tiny mouth. Uh, Yeah, so that she can keep the fucking fake teeth in. (laughs) But she does a great performance. I, I, I sound like I'm ragging on her. The poor thing had no control over her two front teeth falling out. Betray you. Why do you look so sad? What a backhanded her. It just at the just at that first question. <laughs> uh, oh my god. No, it's about to get worse because it turns out, guys, she already knew everything that Atreyu almost died learning. That she needs a new name for a cure, that it needs to be a human child who selects it. My horse died! I nearly drowned! I just barely got away from the nothing! And what? For what? To find out what you already knew? It was the only way to get in touch with an Earthling. But I didn't get in touch with an Earthling! Yes, you did. He has suffered with you. He went through everything you went through. He is very close. Listening to every word we say. What? (laughs) I love Bastion, but what? (laughs) And then the part that makes me look up and look over my shoulder is she says, just as he is sharing your adventures, others are sharing in his. And she's talking about us, She might as well look in the camera and go, hi, guys. Like, (laughs) Oh, my God. That would have been a nice office moment for her. So the only question is, who the hell is watching this boring slice of life anime that is my life? Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> Every time it thunders outside in the real world, a part of the ivory tower cracks apart. Yeah. I love that. Oh like, my god. What will happen if he doesn't appear? Then our world will disappear. And so will I. How could he let He doesn't understand that he's the one who has the power to stop it. He simply can't imagine that one little boy could be that important. 
Sebastian keeps getting more and more upset. <laughs> Is it really me? <laughs> <laughs> it's not real. It's only a story. And it thunders one too many times in the real world, and it knocks a tray you out for some reason in the book. And then the, the, the Empress is like, all right, fuck it. Fourth wall, here I come. <laughs> she looks right into the camera. And and just and the shots of Bastion looking back at her at the camera. Oh, like, it's crazy. Why don't you do what you dream, Bastion? But I can't. I have to keep my feet on the ground. Call my name. Bastion. Please. What did he dream at the beginning of the movie? About his mom. Yeah. We can't exactly hear the name he cries out into the storm when he opens up the attic window. Because he calls out his mother's name. But we don't know what it is, specifically. He's got a lot of syllables. (laughs) And then it goes black. We just hear Bastion's little disembodied voice. Why is it so dark? In the beginning, it is always dark. What is this, the Bible? (laughs) Stop it. Like, anyway. And the light comes up, and it's just Bastion and the Empress sitting in front of each other, facing each other. And she's got her hand held out to him. And there's this tiny little point of light in her hand. What is that? One grain of sand it is all that remains of my vast empire. Fantasia has totally disappeared. Yes. It's the way she just definitively goes, yes. <laughs> She's like, but hey, if you wish on this little grain of sand, you can remake Fantasia in your own image. You can fulfill all your hopes and dreams with this little grain of sand. This is the point in the book where Bastion starts to disappear from reality. Yeah, this ending, this ending, everything after Gamork is all made up by the producers and the director. Yeah. So that they could, like, end this GD story. Uh-huh. And it's why the author doesn't like it. Yeah. And you know what? Get over yourself. I don't care. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> And that would not normally be her opinion, guys. Like, but yeah, that... it's her birthday month. Whatever, <laughs> we're telling the truth. And and so yeah, she tells him, as long as you keep dreaming, Fantasia will live on forever. And he's like, how many wishes do I get? And she goes, oh bitch, you get as many as you want. <laughs> you don't have to wish for more wishes. You don't have to play it fast and loose with the rules. You can just have as many as you want. And Ross, what's Bastion's first wish? We're flying on Long Snake Dog! <laughs> We're riding Falcor! Yeah! yeah! flying through Fantasia that he's just remade with his imagination, we're seeing everybody who's died. Yeah, I know. The Rockbiter's here and Teeny Weenie and Night Hob and the stupid bat and the racing snail. They're all fine. Yeah. They fly over Atreyu and Artax. <laughs> 
yelling. You're squealing in oh, my ear. Our text is alive. I just, why is that the most soothing our, thing about this? Our text, stupid horse. <laughs> I know. Oh. And the only part of this ending that does not make sense. So, yeah, guys, here's the thing. <laughs> you know how, like, Falcor can't... It's like Bastion got in Falcor's ear and went, Hey, you know how you've never been beyond Fantasia? Guess what? I know where the door is. <laughs> Bastion must be a powerful wizard! Somehow, seemingly, flies Falcor... Out of the book? Into the real world? Well, here's the thing. They're on their... It's like they're on their way to school the next day, right? These bullies that beat him up in the beginning? Yeah. Th- this is the thing. This is why bullying works. <laughs> what? <laughs> because <laughs> if he had not been bullied, he would not have hidden that bookshop, and uh-huh. we would never have learned to do what we dream. I don't think you're taking away what you should be taking that away <laughs> well, from Well, that. here's the thing. It must be the next morning. Yeah. So I bet Barney is freaking out, like... Where's my kid? They're walking down the middle of the street, these bullies, and Belch is in the middle, and he's, like, pointing into the sky. It's a monster! Get him, Falcor! Let's see how you like it, chicken! Not here! It's real. Yeah. It's real. Bastion is zooming down a city block. People are looking up at the sky snake. It's not like it's seeing is believing. They can see the dragon. Yeah, no. And, like, it just, it's real fun. He chases them around a corner and into the same dumpster they dumped him in. And I feel like we did, we wrote ourselves into a corner or something because <laughs> well, this well, dumbass little narration at the end, it's the only line of narration in the entire movie. It's so distracting. Bastion made many other wishes and had many other amazing adventures before he finally returned to the ordinary world. But that's another story. Turn around. Please rewrite the script. (laughs) No. End it better. (laughs) You know, like... No, they obviously intended to adapt the second half of the book. And they did, and it was just bad. Well, they got tied up in litigation for years after that. Why is that? Oh, because of Mike. Yeah, because All of All right, I get it, I get it. What, Michael said no sequels or something? He like, must have or something uh, because, you know, I I think this came out in 84. Well, here's my thing. Didn't the sequel come out in, like, 95? If, if Michael Enda made such a stink about this, how on earth do next chapter and whatever for Fantasia the third one happened at all. I don't know. I'd have to look into that more, but yeah, you're right. I, I, don't, I don't know how they got around him eventually. I think that at one point the German government just said, you know what? Knock it off. We're not going to tell them they can't make another movie. You were in for most of it. Maybe. Maybe. Something like that, but that's... <sighs> that's such a good one, guys. I know. Oh, it fills me up every time, and I just... That it's a very it's it's much it's much deeper than I've ever really given it credit for. Mm-hmm. You know, like obviously, as a child consuming this piece of media, you are just so taken in by the visuals of everything. Mm-hmm. But watching it now as an adult, it's like wow, it really does all tie together. It is and deep. how there is um, hollowness to life, and how it will come after you, and you have to do your best to uh, live your dreams and not let, not get bogged down and sucked into it. I mean, everybody does in one way or another, but it's why you need to um, 
embrace the fantastical parts of your own human mind, you know? Yeah. It just makes it ten times better. Quite literally reading. Yeah. Uh, I love reading a good book and visualizing the whole thing in my head. Like, it's a great way to consume content. Obviously, we are for... We are covering a visual medium on this non-visual medium. (laughs) Yeah. How simple it is for you to put yourself in that kid's shoes Mm -hmm. and then go through everything he goes through and being able to actually relate to the experience he is having in real time. As a kid, you watch movies and you see a lot of things that you can't really understand or empathize with. Oh, no, it's it's the generational conflict in it for me. It's very much, hey... There's a huge problem that's going to destroy you and everyone you know. Mm-hmm. We couldn't fix it. Here you go. Oh, God. And then you go to everyone that says they have the answers, and they just don't. Yeah. And then you find out that the answers are actually so simple, just no one cares enough to undertake them. How depressing. I know. Aww. But that's why you got to get creative. Yeah, you gotta, like, you know, find the hero in yourself, you know? Yeah. And I hate that the world is that way, but, you know, uh, wow, I'm a lot sadder at the end of this than I thought I was gonna be. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I made the whole, yeah. No, you're not wrong, though. You know, he sets out on this task. He suffers a horrible loss. Mm -hmm. You know, he goes to the oldest and wisest being of all who's supposed to have all the answers, and there are no answers, they don't care. Mm-hmm. They're old. They're going to die anyway. Yep. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. And then you go to actual specialists who don't have enough and need you to get the information. Prime and, Annette Yeah. And then all this other stuff. And then you get to the source. <laughs> and even then, it's all on you still. <laughs> How many times through my trying to put my get my head out of the clouds, be an adult, put two feet on the ground. How many times have I gone, wow, the worst part about it is that it really is all up to me. <laughs> yeah. That is the worst part <laughs> of adult existence <laughs> is you have to be responsible for you. You're like, I need an adult. Yeah. And then you're like, oh no, I am the adult. All right, guys, that's it for Carrie's birthday Happy month. Happy birthday month, Carrie! Thanks. Another one in the books. Yeah. Another August, and oh my god, Leo season is over! <laughs> Virgos! 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 It is Virgo season! Oh my god. Uh, you're kind of a Virgo cusp. I am. Not a really, bit. but like, you know. And that means it's now time for Ross's birthday month. But I'm a Libra. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm a late September. <laughs> I'm so happy that I'm a September Libra and not an October one. I know. Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh, kind of wish you were a July Leo. Okay. Uh, yeah, you're an August Leo. And those, <laughs> ooh. Uh-huh. Oh, you, you just ooze. I know. You ooze everywhere. 
So do you want to tell the kiddos at home what you're going to do for your first birthday selection? You guys are going to love my theme. <laughs> it's we've got to do that potpourri. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to go through a couple of bangers that we always say we have to do that. Yeah, I know. And we're going to get a couple of them out of the way. Four, to be exact. It is good. My selections are going to be a little what the fuck. And definitely th there's a couple punishment ones for Carrie. There are. Punishment for what? I don't know. I'll decide <laughs> later. <laughs> Guys, next week, we will be covering the 1996 live-action animated feature film adaptation of Roald Dahl's classic, James and the Giant Peach. Oh, my God. It's me. It is. I'm James. You are. Your first name is James. That's my legal first name, guys. <laughs> my name's James Ross McMichael. And my last four of my social is... Stop. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Be on the lookout for that one next week, folks. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. Come see us comment as Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk beat the shit out of each other live <laughs> on Twitter. I'm sorry, X. Oh man. Uh, more quality content. Oh my god. <laughs> Coming to you from kicking and streaming. <laughs> Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry mom. mom.